This is episode seven of uh, John Frickett Smith Walks Dogs, or John Frickett Smith, period, or whatever the hell it's called right now. A couple of things to catch you up on. One uh, is some health stuff. Uh, This is my advice to anyone who is still healthy. Do whatever you can to stay healthy, because if you're not, then you'll have to deal with the medical community, and it's expensive and terrifying. I went to my doctor I've been seeing for 15 years for my physical, and he walks into the room and he goes, so I see you're on uh, lisinopril. I said, no, I'm, I'm not. He looks at his chart again. Oh, well, uh, I must have had you on lisinopril, and then we switched your medication. I said, no, I've never been on lisinopril. And that was after the uh, physician's assistant uh, tried to take my temperature and found no temperature, meaning I guess I was dead. and then uh, took two blood pressure readings that were so wildly divergent uh, neither one of them could be believed so that's how the physical went the good news is I'm slowly training them because instead of asking have you been depressed now they ask have you been more depressed than usual (laughs) I did this by well previously when they'd asked have you been depressed I would say given what's happened to me in my life the mental health issue would be if I weren't depressed so that was always my answer and now they've uh, adjusted so nice work doctors the blood test showed the cholesterol is still down from the changes in the uh, in diet and uh, everything else looks pretty good there uh, I had got to uh, enjoy the CPAP lifestyle now uh, I had a little uh, at-home test done and uh, So that was $500 that I had to pay for the CPAP machine and another $600 for the test because my insurance covers none of that. But otherwise, I'm uh, pretty healthy, so I consider myself lucky. And the other thing is the arrhythmias have stopped. The medication seems to have worked, and that's really good because the next step was going to be ablation surgery or an ablation process, and that was not going to be cheap. So my advice to you is uh, eat healthy and exercise and don't put a bunch of bad crap into your body or else you're going to go broke and deal with a bunch of uh, people in the medical profession that don't have much time for you. That's my uh, advice. Moving on. Okay, let's talk about our new neighbors, Syed and Amy. They bought the McMansion next door. Uh, The house that was there was torn down. Uh, it was very much like uh, the house that we live in, which is also a teardown, uh, but we still live in the teardown. Anyway, they they moved into this McMansion, which is about 5,000 square feet if you include the finished out basement. And to make something that large on this lot, they had to tear out a lot of vegetation and fill it with house instead. Well, about two months after they moved in, Uh, We got a note in our door, and the note said something like, uh, 
Hi, we're your new neighbors. Hope all is well. We stopped by to say hi. We also have a question. Please call. And it was written on the back of, I guess, Saya's business card. He is a physician somewhere in town. Now, there are a couple of problems right off the bat with this note. One, uh, apparently, they didn't stop by to say hi because we would have heard them. Our dog sleeps right by the door. If they had uh, knocked, then the dog would have raised holy hell. We would have noted someone was at the door. So I don't think they stopped by to say hi. And uh, I think the real reason that they stopped by was to ask this question, which turned out to be not so much a question, but an observation that the water from my driveway area was forming a little creek in their property. And the reason that was happening was because they tore out all the vegetation that had been there to absorb all of that water. So now it was a problem. Well, I was trying to be friendly at the time. So I said, well, maybe we'll work something out together. I'll see what I can do. I'll look into it. But over time, I realized that uh, it was going to be a lot of money to do anything. And I don't have a lot of money. So I had to take it upon myself to solve this problem for Syed, even though the problem was never a problem until they built that house. It had been like that since we owned this house in 1991. So I started to come up with a plan. In the meantime, I learned a little more about Syed that uh, indicated the a character trait rather that I found a little obnoxious. Uh, an Amazon van drove by the street and uh, I said, uh, well, look, Amazon's got their own vans now. They, they used to subcontract that out. And he went, yes, it's a Mercedes. They're doing very well. <laughs> so I've got a uh, status conscious uh, doctor, neighbor. I also knew they were status conscious because they only drive BMWs. Both uh, Amy and Syed both drive BMWs. Anyway, so between that and the initial lie of the card in the door and the fact that this problem has somehow become my problem just because they moved in next door to me, kind of put them um, on my shit list, as we say. And they, uh, their position and the strength of their position on my shit list grew uh, as I went about the project of fixing the drainage. Because to fix it, I had to dig 85 feet of trench, much of it through roots, all the way for about three quarters of my property from front to back fill it with uh, gravel, so far about four tons of gravel, but maybe I've got six tons, I still may wind up using it. Not to mention the cost of the actual drainage pipe and the landscape fabric and blah, blah, blah. And the fact that I'm a 64 year old man uh, digging in extreme heat in Georgia and a project that I feel I shouldn't even have to do. And I'm doing it all myself to save money because I'm poor. Because of the financial crisis, which took everything I have. So, 
Every day I was out there for a couple of hours, as much as I could tolerate, sweating like crazy digging this trench and just banking the resentment I have for my new neighbors, Syed and Amy. And that was the only thing that really kept me going through much of the process, was the fact that uh, this means I should never have to speak with them again. I feel that I'm earning the right to shun them for the rest of my life here on this, on this uh, property in our house. But they won't have it. They, uh, they insist on trying to speak with us. I don't want to speak with them. I don't want to speak with someone who's impressed by Amazon's delivery vans and their, the status it represents for the company. I'm gonna let that go, can't get in someone's mind, but I do feel I've earned the right to actively shun them. Well, the other day I was out and I hear my name being called and I finally look around and it's Amy. She's on the back porch of her home and she's smiling real big. And she goes, how was your father's day? I said, it was okay, thanks. And she goes, you're welcome. <laughs> what? That, that, that's the kind of awkwardness you couldn't really write into dialogue. You're welcome. What? Ugh. Anyway, it was just weird. But I'm still steadfastly trying to maintain uh, the the act of shunning. My wife is participating as well. Uh, if, our, if we're in the driveway when their garage opens, we turn our backs. Go. We're looking at something else. We refuse to deal with them. They have a dog. The dog is as you would expect. Loud and insistent and quite obnoxious. It just goes with the whole theme of Syed and Amy. So it's become kind of uh, our dog, as a matter of fact, once in a while she'll get up in this other dog's face, in Syed and Amy's dog's face, but most of the time she just looks at her like, what the hell are you barking at? I'd, I'd chip in if I felt there were a threat, but I see nothing. You're just running around the yard barking maniacally. Uh, anyway, so that's the story of uh, the neighbors were shunning, actively shunning. And uh, it's kind of fun. I know it's a little negative to get your energy and your motivation from uh, the promise of not having to speak with your neighbors, but there's some people that you don't want to know them. And I, I feel that's kind of where we are. It's, I know it's a negative, uh, but I can't help it. Okay, not quite done with the drainage yet. Maybe after the next couple of rains and test it out, I'll be able to finish putting the rocks in the last 20 feet or so and then burying the pipe and forgetting about it. But uh, it's almost over. And that's the story of uh, a drainage problem that shouldn't even be mine to begin with. All right, next topic. This is gonna sound like I'm talking about politics, but it's really not so much a political thing. It's more of a human observation that just centers around a political example. And I'm thinking about uh, our current president, Donald Trump. <laughs> And 
his, it's like a superpower he has of not just dragging people down to his level, but dragging them beyond his level. And so, they, in fact, they behave, his critics behave so poorly and so unfairly that they have to be called out for it. And when you call them out for it, it looks as though you're a Trump supporter. And that's not necessarily the case. It's just that, no, you're, as the critics just have to be, particularly journalists, have to be called out for not doing their job properly. I mean, if you're going to be an advocate or a commentator, fine. But uh, well, here's a little uh, one story that, of course, this is that there is no such thing as objective journalism anymore, no even attempt at it. This is uh, the headline of one. Watch, Fox cuts away from Trump babbling about farmers not being able to connect tractors to the internet. The paragraph, lead paragraph is, while President Donald Trump was speaking at an event in Council Bluffs, Iowa on Tuesday, his speech veered off the rails, culminating in him complaining about how farmers couldn't hook their tr tractors to the internet. Now, you read on a couple of paragraphs, and <laughs> you find modern tractors typically do have internet connectivity, which helps farmers keep track of everything from weather conditions to the total size of their yield. So, it was a non-story just to put Trump and babbling in the headline. So I knew most people wouldn't read beyond the headline and the first paragraph. They never get to the end where they find out, yes, tractors do connect to the internet and it's a useful function for them. That is from an alleged uh, journalist named Matthew Chapman, who was on Twitter, I see. Great job, Matthew. Good work there. And it reminds me of, uh, even though locally on our little neighborhood list, this woman, she says, we need to establish a no-bullying policy, a zero-tolerance, no-bullying policy. Zero-tolerance. Now, think about that for a minute. If somebody bullies, what are you going to do? Are you going to bully them back? You're going to take some sort of action, presumably. Zero-tolerance. What do you do? Kick them off next door? Isn't that a form of bullying? It reminds me of also, there was another one on next door where <laughs> this woman was complaining that people over age 60 were all racists. We won't solve this problem until those people die. <laughs> well, aren't you revealing yourself as someone who discriminates against people over 60 or 50 when you make statements like that? Painting everybody with a broad brush and calling them all racists and then just wishing for the day they die. He pointed that out to her, and then she disappeared from the forum. <laughs> she hasn't been seen since. And then here's another one. When you call someone a bigot, you are basically demonstrating yourself as a bigot. Because a bigot is a person who's intolerant toward those holding different opinions. Well, if you call someone a bigot, that means, yes, I don't want to hear your opinion. I'm not going to discuss anything with you because I myself am a bigot. <laughs> That's what... And that's sort of where we are. Is every, if you start looking at it, half of the, more than half, a large percent of complaints from uh, social critics are actually demonstrating the thing they're complaining about. It's mind-boggling, really. Anyway, I think Trump has this superpower of bringing out the worst in people. But, and the odd thing is it makes him look good by comparison 
or look better by comparison. Odd as can be. Okay, moving on. Factoid. Half of all middle-income households in wealthier countries now struggle to make ends meet. In the U.S., a single worker must earn roughly $23,000 to $62,000 to be considered middle class. <laughs> Factoid! We recently had the 75th anniversary of D-Day. Which, uh, it gets me every time when I think about, uh, our troops, uh, on T-Day. Uh, I know many of them, if you watch Band of Brothers, they had to assume they're already dead in order to find the courage to carry on with their mission. I mean, that is where, you know, rubber meets the road, as they say. And you'd like to think, uh, your character would be up to what was required on D-Day. And I guess with all the training and with all your compatriots, chances are it would be. But uh, that's one place I'd like to go before I die is to Normandy. I have such admiration for those people. Two people on my street were veterans who settled here with wives from England. One of them, uh, I remember this was a couple of years ago, he's passed away now. And this was about a year or two before he passed away. He was walking down the street very slowly. He was a tall, kind of skinny guy. He was sort of a Jimmy Stewart body type. And uh, we stopped and talked. He stopped and talked to me. And uh, he told me that he flew B-17s uh, out of France and over Germany or... Maybe it was out of England. I can't remember, but it was European theater. And uh, he was the pilot. He was the pilot of a B-17 flying fortress. And after uh, he told me that, he told me some more kind of stories that were rambling a little bit, but about, I can't remember what they were, but they were about their various missions they had. And he went, so uh, I piloted a B-17. Then he looked at me and he went, now I'm wearing a diaper. <laughs> and he kind of smiled. I thought, wow. This guy is amazing. A hero with a sense of humor at the end of his life. What a cool man. What a cool man. Musings with John Frickin' Smith. Though tragic, there's something I admire about people who take their own lives at the gun range. They could buy a gun and ammunition and do it at home, but why spend the money on something you're only going to use once when you can go to the gun range and rent it? That's just sound long-term financial planning. Musings. Well, I almost forgot this part. Uh, time to do an update on 
Carl. Carl's world. Carl is the mostly retired boss uh, of my wife, and uh, he's a multimillionaire because uh, he started a business and then sold it to a guy who uh, eventually went to prison. Anyway, he's what you would call a classic uh, limousine liberal. In this case of this story, he's literally a limousine liberal. He was going to a thousand-dollar-a-plate fundraising dinner for a Democratic candidate in town here, and my wife overheard him on the phone with his uh, with his wife, and they were discussing how they should go to this fundraiser, and she heard Carl say, "We could take the Porsche. That would look good." But uh, ultimately, they decided against the Porsche and literally went uh, in a limousine. He didn't get a chance to actually speak with the candidate, and uh, we didn't hear any more about this dinner. But he spent $1,000 and then rented a limousine to go to it. So there's that. The Porsche uh, plays into a second part of the story. My wife had to take him to the Porsche dealership. You'll recall he bought the Porsche, uh, quote, to make me feel better about myself. So my wife had to take him in our 20-year-old car to the Porsche dealership where he uh, was going for some scheduled maintenance. And uh, those services were an oil change, a brake flush, new plugs, and detailing. And that cost $2,300. And on his way out, when they went to pick up the Porsche, Carl said, well, it's a good thing I'm rich. And that's from the man who cut my wife's salary during the Great Recession by 20% and has never brought it back up or given her a raise since, even though she literally saved him from suicide, I think probably 20 years ago. So that's cool. Then I find out, you know, uh, Carl has properties in multiple states, and often his wife and their grown child, who is on the autism spectrum, but fully functional and normal, uh, are in another state, so sometimes they're not in the, many times they're not uh, sharing a property. But right now, they're all in the same home, and the wife and the son not only live on different floors, they lock their doors when Carl is home. His wife lives on a different floor and locks her door, as does his son. Just wanted to pass that on. That's what's going on. Oh, there's more going on with Carl. I'm sorry. He's been uh, diagnosed with a disease which is rarely fatal if caught in time, which this was. So he's gonna have it treated with a brand new procedure uh, that's only available in about three places in the country. It's very expensive, but more effective and less of a hassle, fewer side effects. So he's expecting a complete recovery, as he would say. It's a good thing I'm rich. Yeah. And uh, we hope for his complete recovery too, because uh, nobody, I mean, nobody deserves that shit. So good luck to him. But still, I mean, <clears throat> it's an indication that you can get a, a different level of health care based on your wealth, the same way you can get a different judicial outcome based on your wealth. It just, uh, it can make you, can make you cynical, right and wrong, and good and bad can be bought and sold. 
I mean, you just have to accept that, I guess. Otherwise, you run the risk of what's happening to me. I can sense it in myself. I'm slowly, or maybe quickly, I'm becoming whatever the opposite of a snob is. I tend to, I'm starting to look down on the wealthy because I feel that they're demonstrating poor decisions in terms of the rest of humanity given the uh, exaggerated effect of those decisions caused by their wealth. And hypocrisy among the wealthy particularly fries my ham. So I guess I need to meet some rich people who aren't assholes. But in this gentrifying neighborhood, uh, I just haven't run into any yet. Although I'm getting a little agoraphobic, so maybe that's my fault. I guess I'm just becoming uncomfortably judgy. I should do something about that. I better put that in my bullet journal and become less judgy. Yes, just to prove I have my finger on the pulse of fads from three or four years ago, I'm giving serious thought to doing a bullet journal. I don't truly understand what it is yet, but I know you write down bullet lists of things you want to accomplish, and then you kind of try to hold yourself accountable for actually doing them. Uh, that's really all I know about it so far. Um, I'll let you know how that goes. I'll put that down as one of the tasks. Let people know how the bullet journal is going in the next podcast. <laughs> Yeah, bullet journal. I hope it's not called a bullet journal because once you see on paper a complete list of the things you're supposed to do or you have going on, that uh, you want to put a bullet in your head. I'm also looking into uh, (laughs) things called artist tiles. And on these you're supposed to do meditative art, repetitive pattern art, uh, meditative stuff. I think it's like basket weaving, but drawing. Basically, it's doodling. It's what you always did in meetings. Uh, and it's supposed to help you clear your mind. I have another thought on what to do with the idea of artist tiles, but uh, I'll save that for the next time. Okay, rewind in your head a little bit to the, uh, to the Porsche issue or the Porsche matter, or the Porsche stories, or the Porsche subject. Uh, Back when my wife had to take Carl to the Porsche dealership, uh, she had to go to the bathroom while she was there, and so she went in and she was confronted with a very high-tech toilet-slash-bidet thing. she She found it very amusing that, of course, at the Porsche dealership, you would have to have this kind of uh, device for taking a leak or a crap, although she did not put it that way. She was so amazed that she took photos of it for me, uh, particularly with the graphics of the uh, instructions of how to, how to use this <laughs> device. And so that was a fun thing to sort of deconstruct as you imagined that assignment going to the graphic artist and they're going yeah, what we're looking for here is something that could explain to people that if they push this button a jet of water will fly at their asshole but we want it to be classy want it to look good want it to be very explanatory so that they'll know what's going to happen and not be unpleasantly surprised and maybe launch into the wall opposite the bidet but uh, you know we still want it to look classy and 
make it refreshing looking. And, uh, and then we'll need the same thing for the genital area when the when they press a button and the burst of water flies at the genital area. But make it look classy, you know, and make it just look like, uh, that looks like a logo uh, that I can really associate with my personal parts. Well, it's not a logo, but it's a, a design, a graphic element that is instructional. So, uh, let's see what you got in a, give me something tomorrow. Don't forget, make it classy. Buttholes, genitals, make it classy. Okay, that's how I imagine that going. Okay, I got a couple of loose ends. Uh, I want to say goodbye, first of all, to Donna. Uh, she was working the door at the Sam's Club on Claremont Road in Atlanta and has been for years. I go there weekly. And I first noticed her because she had a hat on that she had bedazzled with some design or slogan or something. And I commented on it, and she was so... Uh, delighted that I'd noticed she just let up this big smile and she would engage in conversation with me and it was just really outgoing and uh, and would get involved with with every customer and she would be dazzled some other things that were uh, kind of interesting too I'd talk to her every week and we got to be buddies and then I go in uh, just recently and I find out she's not there I wanted to know God what's happened Donna has pulled off the American dream in terms of uh, the work life. She has retired and moved to Florida. I am happy to report. I am so glad for her that uh, through the Walmart Corporation and through Sam's Club, she managed to, to pull off a retirement. She was, she is just one of those engaging, sweet people who can lift you out of the worst funk ever. And I had, I've had some bad funks since uh, the Great Recession made me poor. And uh, I am going to miss her, but I want her to know that there are some people taking her place in the... I'm a member of the Sam's Advantage Club, so I get to go in there a little early. I don't know what they're like, the help is like there. We Sam's Club workers later in the day, I think they're just kind of busy. But they are in the best moods early in the morning. And I found three or four of them who uh, together can certainly uh, match the, the mood-brightening power of Donna. And maybe one or two individually, if they can, uh, if maybe Donna trained them on the way out, I don't know. But uh, well done, Donna, of Sam's Club. Uh, I have a picture of, of me and Donna, and I'll put it up on the blog at johnfreakinsmith.com. Um, also, I just wanted to point out that I got my new glasses in the mail today. And this is a, an, indeed a, an historic event here, because my vision is better now, and I noticed I have my first gray eyebrow hair. So, mark that down, Library of Congress. That's about it for this episode. I don't know when I'll be back because uh, I've got to go look for work and that should be fun for a guy of my age, don't you think? If you have a job in Atlanta for me, just be sure to let me know. You can uh, contact me off the website, johnfrickensmith.com or on Twitter, J Freakins, F-R-E-A-K-I-N-S, whereas the website is F-R-I-C-K. Note the difference. Or you can call me at Google Voice, 762-847-0620. Just leave a message. Normally I try to leave you with some music, 
of my own, but uh, I haven't done any lately because the studio is such a mess. And uh, But I did find a demo of one called Drifting Away, which I'll end this podcast with. Bear in mind, it is a demo. Uh, I didn't really get the chorus to scan the way I wanted to in terms of syllables. And the drums are just ridiculous. They're just there for a metronome at this point. I'd also like to note that the last verse is about nothing but continental drift. It has nothing to do with politics or culture or race or anything. It is about continental drift, which is harkens off of the title of the track called Drifting Away. So uh, here's how that song went before uh, I abandoned it. And for this episode, this is John Frickin' Smith saying thanks for listening. Cold, cruel sea And I've been so wrong
drifting away. As usual, this episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Life Begone Crematorium. There's never been a better time to die. Why not die today with Life Begone?